Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year. And then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and it is now the fourth day of January 2017, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin, and just down the 101 from AT&T Park, the home of the San Francisco Giants. Hey, um... Let me tell you what I'm going to do today. I'm going to sort of dip my toe into what is sometimes a dangerous water to uh, dip into. But uh, it it involves controversy and tangentially uh, involves politics, although I'm going to really work very, very hard to not make this be a a political podcast in any way, shape, or form. In fact, I'm trying to make it an anti-political podcast. Um, One of the uh, controversial things that's going to come up over the next bunch of weeks is the Hall of Fame vote. And I have a lot of thoughts on this, and clearly as we build up over the next couple of weeks to the Hall of Fame vote, I'm going to make my opinions clear. Now, one of the real, there's, there's obviously, we're, we're still in some ways dealing with the fact that a few years ago, enough writers turned in a, a, a blank ballot that it meant that no players were voted in that year. That was the, the first year that I was doing the Solid Baseball Daily Podcast, the first time it was, I had the podcast going on while the Hall of Fame vote was announced. It was in 2013. And there were, the closest anyone got was Biggio at 68.2. Biggio's in the Hall of Fame now, as is Mike Piazza. But because a lot, because it was the first year of Bonds, it was the first year of Clemens, you know, the first year of Sammy Sosa on the ballot, there were a lot of people who decided they were just not going to vote at all. Uh, as a protest. Okay, fine. Congratulations, you did a protest. Uh, but that meant, now I will say that probably cost Jack Morris the Hall of Fame. Whether or not you think Jack Morris belongs in the Hall of Fame, uh, he that was his best chance of getting in. He got to 67.7%. But seriously, what would have been the harm of voting in BGO? What would have been the harm of voting in Piazza? Now there's a huge push to get Tim Raines in there because of a new ridiculous rule that the eligibility has been cut from 15 to 10. So that means they cut five years off of Tim Raines' eligibility. So they got to get him in. Well, they could have put him in that year. Wouldn't that have been nice? It would have taken them up. But what that's done is created a logjam. And with so many candidates, you know, the, the next year there were three candidates where nobody could argue with. You know, Maddox, Glavin, and Thomas were in there. I think they should have had five get in that year. You know, BGO, Piazza, get Reigns, get a sick you know, they They've had to have big classes since then. So three were voted in in 2014, Maddox, Glavin, and Thomas. In 2015, guess what? Four were voted in. Johnson, Pedro, Schmoltz, and BGO. The next year, which was last year, you had um, 
what was he? I know he had Griffey and you had Piazza. You had Bagwell on the outside sniffing in. Okay, you have to have more than one because you have a, you have a log jam. You have an absolute log jam. And one thing that I have said, and I've been consistent about this, is either vote Bonds and Clemens in or get them off the ballot. Now, I believe they belong in. And I believe they belong in with a somewhat sketchy uh, mindset that is to say, well, we knew before they, we believed they started using stuff that they were Hall of Fame caliber players. You know, if their careers had stopped at that point, and therefore I believe that they were Hall of Famers whether or not they juiced or not. Uh, I also think that in an era where a lot of people were using performance-enhancing drugs, they stood out. I think that should belong to something. And I've made very clear that I believe the Hall of Fame, if you have the likes of a Tom Yawkey or a Bowie Kuhn or people who had did detrimental, had detrimental effects to the game, then you could have Bonds and Clemens in there just fine. You know, I would much rather honor Bonds and Clemens than Tom Yawkey. So, I, I mean, I don't want to hear about the sanctity of Cooperstown and knowing that some people who were terrible racists and terrible, just terrible people are in that hall already. So... And, and, of course, the, the terrible people element for someone like Yorkie, I keep going back to him, affected the game, affected what was on the field. Yorkie did everything in his power to destroy the Red Sox. He was a horrible human being. And the, the long-term effects of that affected the franchise for generations. And so... Uh, if we're going to say, oh, we can't have Bonds or Clemens in, I'm sorry. Yeah, we can. Sure, we can. Even if you want to put uh, accused of doing this, that, or the other thing, put that on the plaque. But they belong in. But because of that, we've had years where it's been like, you know, it, it, it's been crowded. And, and it means that some players, like Jim Edmonds, like Kenny Lofton, who may deserve you know, some extra scrutiny, in their career, not saying necessarily I put them in, but sometimes you need some extra scrutiny. It took extra scrutiny to get Burt Blylevin in. It took ex it's going to take extra scrutiny to get Tim Raines in. But you know, if you're you're not letting the obvious ones in, and you're, we're wringing our hands debating over Bonds and Clemens, it's going to create a logjam. Which brings us to the topic of today's podcast, and this is where I'm dipping my toe into potentially controversial subject, and that belongs to Curtis Montague Schilling. Kurt Schilling. Now, look, here's my thoughts on Kurt Schilling. If anyone knows me, and I know I do, you know that I, I, I am a huge Red Sox fan. And what Kurt Schilling did in 2004 and 2007 with the Red Sox is just tremendous. I mean, this, it gave me unbelievable happiness. I was at the game in 2004 when he had the Bloody Sock game. It was one of the great 
pitch, gutsy pitching performance I've ever seen in my life. And as a Red Sox fan, let's face it, I love what he did in 2001 as well. As a classic Yankee hater, seeing what he did in the World Series against him was pretty terrific. And I'll also say this. Uh, I've always had a soft spot in my heart for the Philadelphia Phillies, and I loved what he did in 1993 as a member of the Phillies when they wound up going to the World Series. Now, I've never met Kurt Schilling. Never. Uh, I, all I know is from what his persona, his public persona, his persona is written by the, the media, as, as mentioned by other, other players anonymously and everything like that. I don't know if we would necessarily get along. He has the persona of being an opinionated blowhard. Okay? Um, again, I'm very, very careful to be sensitive to the fact that I don't know him. You know, what we know about people publicly is not always who they are in reality. The public persona of someone is in some ways, a visage. It's, it's, a, it's a front. Now, the fact that Kurt Schilling tweets things or that's a direct link to his, from his brain to his finger to the public, I think we know where he stands on some social issues and everything like that. Okay? Um, but I don't know him. And before you say, yeah, you know him, you know him, I said, we thought we knew Bill Cosby. We thought we knew Mel Gibson. Think about any celebrity who has a huge fall from grace. And remember, we thought we knew them. We thought they were good people. We thought this or that because we thought what, what we knew was the public perception. So I, I can only put so much of my life and so much weight into judging someone based upon a public perception. Now, Schilling has been, you know, uh, let me put it this way. I, I try not to be political on this podcast because this the River Sully is open for people of all political bents, all political slants. I am not someone who is like, oh, you don't agree with me, therefore I never want to hear from you. There are plenty of people who agree with virtually everything that I stand for politically who I think are dastardly, horrible people. And there are some people who I do not agree with at all politically who I consider to be some of the closest and dearest people in my life. I don't equate political belief with morality. I do not equate political belief with value as a person. Kurt Schilling and I may be diametrically opposed on all things political, but we may get along just fine. I don't know. As I said, I don't know the man. I've never met him. I don't really know him. And unless you played with him or are in the Schilling family, you don't know him either. You know the public perception. Now, Schilling has done a bunch of things 
to take the proverbial gun and shoot himself in the foot. And you know this is the case because this is a guy who's dealt with cancer recently and no one's bringing that up when they talk about him because he, you know, he'll, he said some things that were, you know, uh, let's just call them misguided about Muslim Americans that cost him his job on ESPN. And, that's, and then losing his job on ESPN has nothing to do with you know, the freedom of speech. ESPN, being an analyst for ESPN, is not a right. If they say, geez, this is not the person we want representing us, they have the right to get rid of him, which they did. Um, and he said the, you know, there's a lot of great in this, when posting a you know, picture of someone talking about lynching journalists. Um, yeah, that was really crappy. Uh, those of you who follow me know that I got into it. I don't want to call it an argument because an argument meant that both sides had a point about creationism, um, which is, I'm sorry, it's not a political statement. There's the, you know, Evolution is a biological fact. It's, you know, science shouldn't be politicized. And we got into um, a disagreement about evolution, and I pointed out some of the places where he was factually incorrect. And each time I did... I would make sure I took the time to say, by the way, I'm a very big fan, and thank you so much for 2004 and 2007. Try to be as respectful as possible. Um, I always equated Kurt Schilling with Reggie Jackson, in that Reggie Jackson bounced around for a couple of teams before he landed with the Yankees, had the reputation of being a bit of a blowhard, maybe a bit of a me-first player, maybe someone who, you know, rock the boat and just wanted to hear his voice heard, but there's no denying that come playoff time, Reggie Jackson delivered. Just like Kurt Schilling, say what you want about him on all these things I just said. He won an MVP in the postseason with the Phillies, an MVP in the postseason with Arizona, and that does not count the work he did with the Red Sox. With the Red Sox, his final tally... One, two, three, four, five. He went six and one in the postseason, including some spectacular games along the way. And, you know, that doesn't count the times that he was brilliant in the postseason with Philadelphia, was brilliant in the postseason against the Cardinals, Braves, and Yankees. He he started the 2001 postseason with three complete game victories. He would go four and zero with an ERA so low that no microscope can measure it. You know, his final tally in the postseason: eleven and two, a 2.33 ERA over 133 in the third innings, struck out 20, 120, walked 25 through. Um, Four complete games, including a pair of shutouts, and was money. Absolute money in the postseason, like Reggie. And he also was more than just an October performer. He was an elite pitcher, and not just once. And this is not a Dave Stewart, Frank Viola Brett Saberhagen candidacy, where there is, you know, they had a nice stretch. This isn't between 92, 93, 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003, 2000. Between 92 and 2006, 
with the exception of a year here and a year there, was one of the elite pitchers in baseball, often finishing the runner-up to the, the Cy Young Award because his teammate was freaking Randy Johnson. Now, did he hit 300 wins? No, did he? But he was, I look at that as the perfect metric that he used to be, to be a Hall of Famer. He had a spectacular season in 1998, one of the best of his career. And, you know, he went 15-14 that year. You know, he had played for a couple of lousy Philly teams along with the World Series team. He didn't really blossom until he was 25. After being kicked around the Red Sox, Orioles, and Astros systems, he blossomed in Philadelphia. Finished his career in the World Series. He was a great pitcher for over a decade and I believe has a spectacular candidacy to be in the Hall of Fame. Now, it's not a slam dunk. I can understand why some people in baseball terms may consider him. If you take a look at even uh, BaseballReference.com, the single greatest website in the history of the planet Earth, they list him as some of the pitchers he's similar to are pitchers who are on the cusp. Sabathia, Hershiser, Pappas, Burley, Bob Welch, and Kevin Brown, lest we forget how good Kevin Brown was. And, you know, you could point saying, you know, throughout his career, you know, he may have been a very, very good pitcher, but not a Hall of Famer. To me, I would vote for him for the Hall of Fame. But I'll tell you two things I want to squash right now. Well, first of all, one thing, I guess it's not squashing, but at least bring up the fact that because the ballot is so crowded and because the floodgates are open for people where there have been whispers about PEDs like Piazza and, of course, Bud Selig and Tony La Russa are in, two people who profited hugely from the notion of, of performance-enhancing drugs, then we're looking at a ballot where it could be Bonds, it could be Clemens, and you're starting to, and you, there's a sense of urgency with Reigns. Manny Ramirez is on there. All this stuff is going on. You, you're, you can compare Schilling with Mucina and everything like that. It means that it's a crowded ballot. And maybe, just maybe, certain players who probably should be in the Hall of Famer that we should be debating, we have to put on the back burner because we still have to debate whether or not Bonds or Clemens are Hall of Famers. We should be discussing Walker. We should be discussing Bagwell and Ramirez and Edgar Martinez. But instead, we have to take the greatest hitter and the greatest pitcher of a generation and, and wring our hands over it. If you use just wins above replacement, which is not my favorite stat in the world, but if you use that as a, as a metric to start from, Schilling has the fourth highest of any of the ones on this crowded ballot. So you could see why he believes he's got a good case, and I, and I believe he does. But if he doesn't get in, and he got 52.3% of the ballot, so there is no doubt in anyone's mind that he's going to be on the ballot next year. And I have a feeling we are going to see some players. This is, we're going to see a bunch of names come off this ballot this year. I don't want to hear the crap that this has anything to do with anything politically. I, I'm sorry. Your pal Sully's not buying it. Sure, there are going to be some writers who are pissed off about what he, you know, there's a lot of greatness about lynching writers. 
You know, when you want writers to vote for you, don't say it's really funny, the concept of lynching them. But do you know what? I'm still not buying it. I think most people know that most baseball players are probably conservative. A lot of athletes are, at least the ones in America. And, I, you know, I've come to accept that, too. I don't expect... You know, when I see that, like, Jake Arrieta is posting a lot of pro-Trump stuff and everything like that, I don't expect players to adhere to my politics. I don't care. I don't expect people who I disagree with of who they checked in the voting box. Like, oh, he pitched a great game for us, but, you know, I don't agree where he stands on trade. And, you know, and I also know there's probably people who think terrible things, probably bigoted things that we're going to celebrate. If you open up the brain of Steve Carlton, you're going to see a lot of cuckoo in there. And I bet the Hall of Fame is filled with people who are like, oh boy. But I think there's a difference between disagreeing with someone and someone who did something truly hurtful or abhorrent. If you are... I don't believe Schilling has engaged in enforcing systematic racism like Yawkey. I don't believe that he has been someone who has physically abused women or children. These are things I don't believe he's done. I think there's a difference between someone thinks something and someone does something. Someone has an opinion about someone and someone does something that's harmful. And... Schilling and I may not agree on, I don't know anything. I don't know, I don't know the man. I think the man has put together a resume that's at least worth the discussion of the Hall of Fame, but I don't think he's going to get in this year. It isn't because of what he tweeted. It isn't because he campaigned for Pence and uh, Trump. (laughs) Why did I put Pence in front of it? I don't know. And my own political beliefs are irrelevant. I don't care. I assume most of them are going to be conservative. And Schilling deserves the debate, a debate that will include discussion about Mussina, who I also, I'm a big Hall guy. I believe that if you are worthy of being in the Hall of Fame, you should be in. I think Mussina has an excellent candidacy. It's a very similar candidacy to Schilling. I would have them in in a heartbeat over Trevor Hoffman, who has a much better chance of getting in than either one of them, which I find to be a little bizarre. But the fact of the matter is everyone's votes are going to be down a little bit because we're wringing our hands over Bonds and Clemens, not because of Schilling being conservative. Schilling's conservative leanings have not exactly been news. And guess what? He campaigned for George W. Bush in 2004 in Massachusetts, a state that I'm going to go out on the limb and say tends to vote Democrat. I could be wrong on that. Let me look it up. Oh, wait, I'm right. And yet he didn't seem to hurt his chances there. Now, look, it. sometimes I got to say, Schilling can be like your high school buddy who you bring to a party and acts like a bit of a jerk. You're like, oh, he's a cool guy. Just He's just in a weird mood. But again, once again, I don't know him. And neither do you. I'm sure some people thought bad things about him. I'm sure some people disagree with stuff that I've tweeted out or anything like that. But he deserves, at the very least, to be debated. And we're, he's 
Not going to make it this year. I'd be stunned if he makes it this year. I think, who do I think is going to be in this year? Um, well, I think Tim Raines is going to get in. I think Jeff Bagwell is going to get in. I think probably Trevor Hoffman. He doesn't have my vote, but, you know, I, probably. And, you know, I think, I think there'll be one more. I think we'll have four this year. And I think if, if it's going to be anyone, it'll be Pudge Rodriguez. But I could be wrong because he has a PED stain on him as well. And next year we'll have Schilling. But I believe that we have to at least debate him, debate his career, and debate his merits as a player. And I don't think his political leanings are going to be what keeps him out. I think the crowded ballot is what's going to keep him out. So... Kurt Schilling, whom I've had some strange words with via the Twitterverse, again, I thank you for the happiness that you gave me over the years, and I just wish sometimes you'd stop tweeting, but who am I to tell another man to stop tweeting? But his resume on the field and on the mound, well, that speaks for itself even if the blood was ketchup. So go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast for the fourth day of January, 2017.